0: Hi, everyone. This is Ben Guest, and welcome to the first episode of our four-episode mini-series on positive coaching. In recent years, we've seen more and more, quote-unquote, positive coaches have more and more success on and off the court. And Ted Lasso, the Apple Plus TV series, which has become incredibly popular, demonstrates in popular culture the impact that a positive coach can have. Not only on wins and losses, but much more importantly on relationships, which is the real win. My book, Zen and the Art of Coaching Basketball, is about how I moved from a competitive young coach who was obsessed with wins and losses and respect and the team doing exactly what I said to a much more hands-off coach who just tried to create parameters for successful team-led leadership. In this four-part mini-series, each episode I'll interview a different coach and we'll talk about their positive coaching methods. Episode one starts now.
1: The first question that I get from every college basketball coach who I've ever worked with, which is quite a few at this point, is it gonna improve their free throw percentage?
0: Hi everyone, this is Ben Guest and today's conversation is with Greg Graber, who is a mental performance coach. Greg teaches mindfulness-based training to sports teams, college and professional. In this conversation, Greg and I do a deep dive into mindfulness and the impact that meditation can have on performance, whether it's in a sports setting or just in life. Then we do a deep dive detour into Ted Lasso and how we think Ted Lasso will end, how the series will end. And from there, we talk about Greg's process with meeting with the team, and end talking about the pandemic and the collective trauma that we've experienced and how tools like mindfulness and meditation can assist. Enjoy. Greg, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Me too. Okay, first question. Senior year of high school, what music are you listening to?
1: Oh, Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really date myself here. Uh, I'd have to say Flock of Seagulls, Thompson Twins, Maybe a little bit of Duran Duran, not too much. I was kind of new wave guy. You know, I had parachute pants in every color, all that kind of it. good stuff. So, yeah.
0: Love it. So let's talk about mindfulness and meditation. And the way I kind of think about it is meditation is like a superpower. And and if we're talking athletic performance, it's like a superpower for athletic performance. Can you just talk about how you've seen the impact of mindfulness in terms of athletic performance at, at all levels?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, I got into mindfulness a little bit before it blew up. I'd probably say about a dozen years ago, my wife took me to a course. My wife's a five-time Ironman finisher. She's the she's the real athlete in the family. Um, and she was always looking for a way to sort of intensify her focus and get rid of uh, you know, the clutter in her mind. So is a performance enhancer took me to this mindfulness class, this meditation class, and sort of every stereotype that you would have for mindfulness and meditation in terms of it being kind of new agey, touchy-feely, cheesy, came to fruition for me. And uh, I was like, why in the hell did you take me to that? Of course, being a good wife, you know, they do what they do. Because you're an asshole and you need to go to it. Um, I swore I would never go back to another one. But then I I came across, I think it was in Runner's World. It was in a running magazine. I used to run marathons and ultra marathons and really dumb stuff like that when I had knees. Um, and it talked about mindfulness and meditation from a scientific perspective and sort of um, from a psychological perspective, void of a lot of the esoteric stuff. And I kind of fell in love with it, started practicing, saw benefits for myself. I was a little bit less impulsive, a little more patient, probably had better emotional regulation skills because of it. Um, And being an educator by trade, we uh, implemented the first that we know of daily mindfulness program in the deep South at a school Uh, Here in Memphis. And I started working with Josh Pastner, who is the coach at Georgia Tech. He was a good friend. At the time, I was a principal, and he was always nice enough to come out and present to my students. So I just started bugging the hell out of him. Uh, Let's do this for your guys. This will be great. I think he regretted giving me his number. Um, And he asked me the, the, the first question that I get from every college basketball coach who I've ever worked with, which is quite a few at this point. It's not like, is it going to make them feel better? or It's just, uh, is it going to improve their free throw percentage? (laughs) Not knowing, of course, I said yes, and luckily it did, and we had a lot of success. So to make a long story short, you know how it works. One coach knows another coach knows another coach. Started working with a lot of college teams. Our NBA team here, the Grizzlies, and just uh, just teams in different sports. And and what I've seen is it just, it, it really helps athletes or student athletes get focused, get locked in. But even more so than that, I think it, it helps their resiliency in terms of sort of mentally how they can respond when things happen, where their thoughts and emotions don't own them, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, 100%. And so we were talking off air in my twenties, I was a high school teacher and coach and just in the concerned about wins and losses, concerned about what I'm doing that day in the classroom um, and not being able to, to see any, any steps ahead other than what's happening right now, then left both those professions worked at the university level for a decade. And when I went back in my late thirties, I'd gotten into meditation and I implemented it both as a high school teacher and as a coach. And I, I tell people all the time, meditation is the most helpful thing I've done as oh, an okay. adult. Without a doubt. Uh, the, the, the emotional regulation. And so in the classroom, right, with teenagers who are used to this day and age, just being on devices, always being distracted, just taking five minutes, not even 20 minutes, not even 10 minutes, five minutes at the beginning of class, you know, everything's set down, sit up straight close your eyes if you want, deep breath in, deep breath out, noticeable difference. And on the very few occasions when, you know, you got to, your, your period was cut short because of assembly or whatever. And I skipped it noticeable difference. Um, highest for, I was an English teacher, highest test scores in school history.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: So that's it, awesome. like again, it, you know, the wrong question is, will it help free throw per- performance. But again, as coaches or as teacher, whatever, we're kind of day to day in that. Yes, it will. It's going to help life. It's going to help emotional regulation. As you said, it's going to lower stress. I mean, if we just look at the the physiological benefits, again, you were mentioning this off air of cortisol levels, all of that. So yeah, let's talk um, education, school in the deep south, implementing this school wide. What did you see?
1: It's funny. I was an English teacher also, before I became a principal, mm-hmm. I, you know, you're right. It's just a, a, these kids, and, and we all do, we live in this accelerated culture where, you know, we don't allow ourselves or our children to be bored, to just sit and be. And if you think about it, that's where real sort of curiosity and wonder are bred. Um, not only do we live in an accelerated culture, but it's also we live in a world of instant gratification. I was I was uh, I was at Rice yesterday working with the basketball team in Houston, and I told one of the freshmen I said, "You know, when I was your age, I had to actually wait a whole week to see a television show to see my favorite show. It took a week. I couldn't download it. No such thing as Uber Eats." I can, you know, I, I was telling him, you get whatever you want on demand with the push of a button. So we're going to teach you how to be patient and how to have a strong relationship with your thoughts and your emotions. So here, school where I am in Memphis, um, I was a middle school principal, and it was a game changer for us. Um, we brought in facilitators to train the faculty. A uh, place called Mindful Schools, which is really good. I could have trained them myself because I've taught this for a long time now, but I didn't want it to be like, well, this is Greg's thing. It's one mm-hmm. more thing on a list we have to check off. But what we saw, you know, in terms of the benefits for the students here, again, it helped sort of lessen their impulsivity. It gave them a little more c- cognitive control, not just from an emotional perspective like what we were just talking about, but also in terms of, let's say when they're taking a test, we would teach them how to breathe before they take the test. And as you know, from a physiological perspective, you breathe in through your nose slowly, hold it for a second, breathe out even slower on the exhale. It carries oxygen to the brain where you get more focused and you get more centered, lowers your heart rate and it drops your blood pressure. So, you know, we've all had that before in school. Um, Even the most gifted of students, you've studied for a test, you feel like you really know the content well, you get the test and you look at it and it's like, shit, this may as well be written in Egyptian hieroglyphics. And it's obviously, you know, it's it's your nerves. Mm -hmm. So we taught the kids to put the test down, close their eyes, take six deep breaths. And then between each question, take a deep breath. So I've worked with students studying for the MCAT or the LSAT as well. We've had a kind of a lot of success for that with this. I was working with one kid a few years ago at LSU on the basketball team. And he was suffering from sort of test anxiety. And, you know, I told him how to breathe and all that. And I'm like, how did the test go yesterday? He said, I didn't do well. Did you do your breathing? Yeah. Well, did you study? No, I didn't study. I'm like, well, still you have to study, but, uh,
0: so not that so we, much of a superpower.
1: No, exactly. But the interesting thing for me, Ben, is like I know a lot of purists. So I'm not one of these guys, I'm not a purist. Um, and I and I'm not into make mindfulness. I'm not a snake oil salesman with it. I fall somewhere in the middle, I think, and the I want to on the practical side of it, but real purists will say, Well, you know, there's no objective for meditation or even for mindfulness, there's not an objective. And to me, it's like, then, then why in the hell do it? So definite. Th- there yeah. is an objective. It's good if you don't fixate on the objectives, obviously. But um, so, yeah, I, I've seen it really beneficial in just about every domain. You know, I obviously, as an educator, I've worked with a lot of students. As you know, I travel around and work with a lot of uh, college and professional athletes. I've work with business people, it's sort of to enhance their emotional intelligence and the the way they interact with other people and to be more responsive and less reactive. Um, I'm all, I mean, I've drank the Kool-Aid a long time. I'm all in, as you can tell, just like you are.
0: For sure. And to your point about the one person you were working with who did, did the mindfulness, but didn't do the studying. And the, the flip side of that is for, for to perform at your best, for someone to perform at his or her best, whether it's in the classroom, taking a test, um, as an athlete, performing in a high stakes game or a high stakes environment, or any area in life, we need two things to perform at our best. We need to feel prepared and we need to feel relaxed. And so if you have the re- relaxation without the preparation, it's a problem. The flip side is coaches are excellent at the preparation aspect, right? We, we, you know, spend hours and hours preparing and we spend hours and hours preparing our teams, but often to the neglect of the relaxation side. In fact, unfortunately, I think coaches often raise the stress levels, raise the cortisol levels. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, without a doubt. You're spot on um it's funny you know these coaches will bring me in initially most of the time to work with the players and then it's inevitable i I always end up working with them um i said at a meeting yesterday to scott para the coach from rice who i love i love all the guys that i work with <laughs> he's like okay uh do you want me to leave the room and you can talk to my assistants about me? And I'm like, no, all you head coaches are fucking crazy. I don't, it's no, it's no secret. We all we all know it. Um, and they have the best intentions. I love all the coaches that I work with. It always has to be a good fit for me or I won't do it. Um, mm-hmm. And plus a Bobby Knight or a Woody Hayes type is not going to bring me in anyway, right? So mm-hmm. um, I do think those guys, uh, the expectations typically are so high They get paid really well, but they get paid to produce. And everybody always wants a piece of them, whether it's the fans, the media, the boosters, the players, the player's family. I mean, yeah, those guys make two, three, four million a year, but their quality of their personal life, in my opinion, uh, I wouldn't want it. Um, And most of them genuinely love their players they just get sometimes really caught up into it. But luckily, a lot of them are starting to get into this and they're seeing that now. Mm -hmm. I think one is, you know, we saw this summer with a lot of the Olympic athletes um, and Naomi Osaka, the tennis player, about there's this onus now on mental health. These athletes are really putting their necks out and they're brave, really courageous to come out like they're doing. But I've seen it kind of in the last few years. We're starting to see more and more teams that either have psychologists, therapists, guys like me, mental performance coaches who help the players and the coaches, you know, deal with all this kind of stuff. We were talking off air about, you know, how in our generation, every coach was Bobby Knight or or Woody Hayes. Mm -hmm. And when I was a young coach, you know, I coached soccer on a fairly high level. On the high school level at MontVert Academy, storied program um, and NAIA, you know, like Division 3, I emulated those guys, not intentionally. I just thought a good coach coaches that way. I don't mean in an abusive way. I never threw a chair like Bobby Knight or or Kung Fu chopped anyone in the throat like Woody Hayes, but just um, I cringe. Mm-hmm. I, I was a pretty good coach. I think I had a decent record, but man, when I look back on it because of what I do now and how I try to sort of mentor and guide these coaches that I work with now, I'm like, fuck, I was, I needed this. You know? mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And we talked about our mutual love of Ted Lasso and how oh, that man. presents a model for a different coach what yeah, uh I, what do you yeah. love about ted lasso who's your favorite character what'd you think of season two
1: do you have about four hours i was listening to your <laughs> uh, episode was, was andreas right um, yeah
0: yep the drag. man it was
1: good really good thank you um i love everything about it and it's funny i didn't want to like it at first i didn't watch it initially
0: the people keep I recommended keep... it to you and you were like eh, okay yeah yeah, yeah my, same yeah. with me
1: my wife was like you, you like soccer you need you need to watch this, but I always fancied they, myself as yeah
0: a serious the, soccer the, guy. The, the theme of this episode is you just need to listen to your wife more.
1: I think so. I, I'm that. That's the theme of my life. Hell, not you know, taking me fifty something years to, to learn. Um,
0: yeah, I, I didn't
1: want to. I didn't want to watch it though, man. You know, I'm like, I'm mm. a serious soccer guy. I don't want to. So I had seen the commercials for the NFL a few years ago, and I'm like this, this dumbass kind of. Forrest Gumps his way into the premier League that that shit would never happen, which it wouldn't. and I just uh, so I watched it. I watched a couple episodes and I'm like, holy hell, this is this is great. Um, it's so well written, and they're playing the real teams in the Premier League and they're they're playing out of Crystal Palaces stadium. Um, I you know, I want to say Roy Kent, but that's i, I i'm I don't. I don't, I don't want him to be my favorite because he's everybody's favorite. I love him. I love the episode where he returned to, he returned to the pitch uh, Mm -hmm. as a coach. That was Mm -hmm. a great one. I hate to say this, but I really like Nate. My wife gets so pissed off at me. Love Nate. I've, I've, all of us have been Nate, maybe not to that extent, but in some aspects or avenues of our lives. And, uh. I can relate, man. there have been times, especially early on, when I was insecure, and fear made me do not nice things to people. And uh, I have to admit on that last uh, episode, the season two finale, when he when he turned around and he was at west Ham with the with the gray hair and the black warm up, I'm like, that is fucking cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know it's kind of like Darth Vader, right? he looks he mm-hmm. looks cool, so mm-hmm. uh, not a popular thing to say, I know, but I'm, I'm really, I'm hopeful and I'm confident that there, there'll be a redemption arc to his character.
0: So. So, so am I, and I think that's such a key insight, right? All of us have been Nate. And, and so you touched on this, when I was a young coach, I was just filled with insecurity and presented myself as the angry, you know, you have to respect me and, it, and, and rules and everything. And when I returned to coaching in, in my late thirties, it was very much about relationships and, and people. And the real win is those long-term relationships with the players that you coached. And of course the great paradox is the more I focused on that, the more I won.
1: Yeah, I see, you know, I, I... I I have the, the honor now of working with some great coaches and I see how guys like Shaka Smart do it, like building culture and relationship. And I'm, I'm blessed. I get to spend uh, every month, you know, at Marquette, I get to work with the guy. I get to hang out in his office and see how, and Will Wade, you know, a lot of people have vilified and I don't want to get into some of that stuff, but like just wonderful. The way that they are building relationships and building kids up. Uh, It's unbelievable. And Josh Pastner, you know, when he was here at Memphis, he's at Mm -hmm. Georgia Tech now, of course. I worked three years with him. I I was in practice almost every day. And just to see how some of these guys do it. um, I think a lot of them are wise. Now, one, kids are different. Society is evolving in this way, in a positive way. But most of them understand and they want it now to be transformative instead of transactional.
0: 100%. And, and that, you know, that's the win, right? What, what, what fun is transactional relationships? Exactly. And, and by the way, if you're a coach, organization, school leader, what have you, I strongly encourage you to, to visit Greg's website. And if you want to engage him, all of the information and resources are there. It, Greg, how do you say your, your last name? Graber. Graber, Greggraeber.com. That's Greg and then G-R-A-B-E-R.com. Greggraeber.com. And they can also purchase your book, Slow Your Roll, and Mindfulness so, for Fast Times. Just
1: so happened to have a copy right here. Nice. What a coincidence. Will Will Wade, the coach at LSU basketball, yep. actually wrote the forward. Yep. And it's got not only uh, some good mindfulness stuff. It's, I think it's a good primer, a good basic primer on how to get into mindfulness, but a lot of, a lot of sports stuff too, working with these teams and coaches. I think uh, your audience, it'll resonate really well with them. So thank you for
0: that. 100%. So the name of the book is Slow Your Roll, Mindfulness for Fast Times. I want to talk a little bit about the, the process of writing, but before we do that, just the idea of mindfulness for fast times, how do you engage with social media?
1: It's hard, man. It's complicated for me. You know, I go around the world when I'm not doing the sports stuff. I also consult with schools and business executives and companies. And um, one of my spills is about sort of cutting back and having mindful consumption of technology. I think I'm okay with it now. Um, I had a sabbatical from it about a year ago.
0: Um,
1: I saw that documentary on Netflix. The name the name that escapes me, Mm -hmm. um, backed off from it a little bit, but, um, I think I'm very intentional about this kind of stuff. I think if people use it for stuff that they're really passionate about, good stuff like this, promoting it, not just promoting my business and my work, which I do, we all do, Mm -hmm. but, um, like I'll see an article from you or, you know, you'll put one of your podcast episodes up that I enjoyed, I'll retweet it. That's kind of the stuff that I do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get on social media and argue with the village idiot about politics or anything else. You know, you're not going to change anyone's mind. Um, I try not to be on it too much.
0: Yeah, so. it's, it's you know, Twitter especially, that, that that's what I've been sort of more intentional about lately. It can either be the greatest free education you can get It can be a great way to connect with people as we did, or it can just be a, you know, hellscape of of doom and and kind of going along with everything we're talking about. You kind of have to regulate what's going in. And if you do that, it can be a great tool. If you don't do that, it's just going to make you miserable.
1: Without a doubt. When I first started working with uh, Josh Pastner, when he was the coach at Memphis, Uh, towards the end of his tenure, he had a lot of haters here, like everywhere, you know how fan bases are. Mm -hmm. Um, And it got pretty brutal, even for me, who was connected on him, I wouldn't say on a substantial level, you know, just the guy who'd go in and kind of work with his players. And uh, it can be terrible, yeah.
0: You know, it's funny, I heard Bruce Springsteen say once that every three-minute rock and roll song, is really just somebody saying daddy, like you know, j- just interesting. Um, uh, um, you know, I was neglected, w- X, Y, and Z. And so, we were talking about Nate earlier from Ted Lasso, a character. I Ted love Lasso. how it goes
1: back to Ted Lasso, I love it. Everything, right? right? Ted
0: when Lasso, you said daddy,
1: not, not to interrupt you, but when you said daddy, I knew we were going back to Nate, do
0: it, <laughs> love it. But talking about those fan bases, right? Like, are they really angry at um. Coach Passer, are they really angry at Coach Whoever, or are they just angry about something in life, and this is the avenue to be angry towards? To, to no, you're right. I,
1: yeah, I saw a great saying the other day. Don't worry if most people can't stand you because they can't stand themselves.
0: Exactly. On the on the
1: surf, yeah, on the surface, it's very pedantic, but there's some truth behind that, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. So. And so that all of that stuff that's just bubbling. In your brain, that's what meditation that, that was the first thing meditation did for me. It's just—it just lowered the temperature, and those all the, that boiling water just started calming. And it's fucking amazing that it's free, requires zero equipment, and is accessible to anybody, anywhere, anytime.
1: It's the ultimate portable device, is what I like to say. You're right. And it's sort of the nomenclature that I use when I'm teaching these college athletes is I'm going to teach you to be the observer of your thoughts. You're not your thoughts. I tell them Mm -hmm. it's to your point. You're just seeing the bubbles. Thoughts are mental activity, just like shooting a basketball or kicking a soccer ball is physical activity. They're not absolute truths, you know? So it's, it's, it's interesting with the mindfulness a lot of it, even for folks who maybe don't meditate that much, like you were saying, some kids might meditate five minutes a day, but it's sort of that metacognition. Thinking about your thinking is a big mm-hmm. part of it. Just stopping and having a little bit of a pause, like Viktor Frankl's uh, great saying, you know, there's that space between stimulus and response, and that's where our freedom lies so it's good if we can get stuck in that space
0: 100 and that i saw this something to this effect a few years ago which was mindfulness meditation it will extend your life meaning it has a lot of health benefits and it probably will actually help you live longer right lower stress levels all of that but even if it doesn't even if you were going to live the exact number of days you would have without it, you're going to live longer because you're more present. So rather than having six, 10 minute distracted conversations over the course of an hour, you're going to have six present conversations and you're going to be a happier person in the same and a more present person in the same amount of time.
1: I love that. Do you mind if I steal that?
0: I don't know that's good, good stuff good, good good artists borrow great artists steal
1: <laughs> I really like that that's good stuff
0: are you seeing a shift now among young people being much more receptive to these tools that we're talking about
1: definitely you know when I started doing this kind of hardcore a dozen years ago with Pastner and the, the Memphis Tigers man I I got laughed out of the gym I did a presentation and um and Josh, I don't know if you know much about him. He is Ted Lasso. Oh, really? I need to try to get him on for you. I don't know how easy, yeah, it would,
0: but we need to. That'd be fantastic. He, yeah, because so, I was in. I was in Oxford when Calipari left, and, and yeah, he was he was on Calipari's staff and took over, right? If I recall Correct. correctly, yeah. He was, he was the last. Like he was the last unknown. guy
1: on the bench. He was the la- the third assistant. Yeah. So this and yeah, Josh. So the athletic they offered that job to everybody. Nobody who wants to follow Calipari, obviously. Mm-hmm. So the athletic director calls Josh to his house. Josh goes to the AD's house. The guy looks like he hadn't slept in a while, hadn't shaved, probably smelling like bourbon. I don't know. And he's like, Hey, man, I want, do you want to, you want the job? The job is yours. And Josh was like, No, I'm going to Kentucky to be an assistant. I don't want to be an assistant here. Yeah. And the guy and the AD says, no, it's for a head coach. I mean, Memphis is a big job.
0: Wow.
1: And Josh is like, what? It, you know, it was like dad giving a 15-year-old the keys to a Ferrari. <laughs> and, and Josh wasn't supposed to last here. He's supposed to be the placeholder. He made it seven years. He had mm-hmm. like four NCAA big. But anyway, just the sweetest guy in the world. Still a good friend. We we text and talk all the time. Uh growing up here in memphis it was like a dream one day to work with the tigers man it's a big Mm -hmm. deal i was crushed they laughed me out of the gym i came back the next day and i told pastor i said tears in my eyes man i'm like i I can't do this shit man no we're gonna find a way to make it work you're the best psychologist i know well i'm not a psychologist you're better than a psychologist and it was like (laughs) So then we started working with small groups, and then I started working with some of them individually, and slowly it started catching on when they saw what it was. Part of it is, and I know you, you've lived—we talked—you've lived in Oxford, and you've lived here in the Delta, in the Mississippi. Um, culturally, sort of taboo, right? They think it's something that's anti-Christian because of the mindfulness, has its roots, obviously right. in the Buddhist tradition. So I've come against that a little bit, but. Over time now, you're seeing more and more sort of programs and, and professional franchises use these techniques. You know, you've had greats like Michael Gervais and the Seahawks with Russell Wilson and, of course, Phil Jackson, who the guy that did it for him is one of my teachers and mentors, George Mumford.
0: George Mumford. He's I was going to uh, say he's the pioneer for all this. Yeah, and Jackson, for sure. Yeah, he's
1: been really good to me. We talk often and uh, we have for a little while. Um, but yeah, it was, it's, it was really weird. Of course, where you are in the Northeast, you know, New York, Boston, those areas, it's been around for a while and out mm-hmm. West and in, in California, it's always mm-hmm. sort of the South and the middle part of the States. I can say that being a Southerner, we're a little bit behind on stuff, but I'm starting to see it really catch on, you know, um, or I wouldn't be being flown to places like baton rouge and houston texas to work with with these teams so it's really gratifying so let's talk about how we think the entire ted lasso series is going to
0: end great question you go first
1: i've said from the beginning i thought that they'd be relegated in first season they'd bounce back in second and they will either win the championship or lose the championship or the Premier League uh, in a close fashion. Mm -hmm. But I think the very final episode, if they don't do it this way that I'm going to tell you, I hope they're listening. I I hope Sudeikis is tuned in. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not even going to ask for a royalty if he does this. I'd like to see them, the very last episode, they're having a reunion and they're all old. The players oh, are it's old. a
0: great idea
1: and they're looking back fondly on their playing days. Ted is dead and gone, passed away. And they all kind of go around and like, remember when Ted did this, remember when Ted, I just think if they don't do it that way, it's, it's a criminal.
0: And then in the second season finale to this, one of my favorite things in movies is when you see that, you know, five months later, five years later, 15, like, you Get excited. It's like you reset yeah. to, to this to the how you feel when the movie first starts. Yeah. What um
1: so yeah, what about you though? I want to hear how where, you think it's gonna end. Where
0: do you think they're going with? I mean, it's just been very light touches so far, but this kind of toxic relationship beard is in. Do you think they're going anywhere with that? I don't know. They need to. Jane is a fucking mess, man. He's, yeah. And
1: it obviously are are they are they trying to highlight like define what codependence is with that are they making a a statement i'm not sure i I wasn't crazy that was the only episode i wasn't crazy about uh what was it beards night out or whatever
0: Hated. yeah and you know the story behind that right they tacked it on afterwards yeah and the christmas one yeah it showed
1: the christmas one was all right it was cute but but beards night out or whatever i I wasn't i wasn't wild about that and I'm not gonna say who it is, but one of these high profile coaches who I work very closely with likes the show. He said, um, it's well-written, it's good, but parts of it are sort of condescending to real coaches to think that a coach could just fall up that way in a sport he's never played or coached and be Mm. good, which, Mm. you know, uh, interesting, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the initial conceit, right, which you mentioned, could never happen. But once, yeah. once I mean, it's, it's a show, right? Once you get past that, yeah, like, it's, let's, it, let's, 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 let's not let that conceit get in the way of all the good.
1: Well, it's like the people wanting to kill Nate on Twitter. You, you feel like tweeting, of course, you're not. It's a fucking show, you know, <laughs> it's a show,
0: you know. When a team brings you in, do you do you meet with somebody like individually first? Do you want to go into a practice first? Do you want to watch a game first? What's, what, how does that, what's your process?
1: All the above. So when we start, when I start courting uh, a coach, cause typically the connection is with the coach. Mm-hmm. Um, or we start talking about what their specific needs are for their team. It may look a little bit different, but typically, what I'll do is um, I'll go in, I'll meet with the entire team a couple of times. I'll meet with like at Marquette, I'll work uh, I'll meet with every single player, mm-hmm. even if it's just for fifteen minutes on that trip. Um, you know, somewhere like LSU, it might be, I meet with six players or eight players. GW might be the whole team. It just depends um often I'll meet with the head coach formally some of these guys are my good friends now so we'll go out to lunch or dinner um depending on what the coach has in mind I might meet with the assistant coach coaches as well it's a it's a little bit of everything
0: and what are you looking for when you're first either meeting with someone individually that you don't know so let's say coach you know brings you in now you're going to You meet with the team as a group you meet with a player individually what 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 do you have your antenna up um sensing
1: so you asked earlier too which i left out i'm sorry about practice so a lot of times i'll see practice first and that'll give me and as a coach you know this give me a lot of good information on things like what kind of energy the individual guys are bringing how their body language is how they interact adversity if they throw the ball away or if a call goes against them. I'm looking for all that kind of stuff, Um, primarily. I'll look and see the way that they interact with their teammates, how they treat their teammates, how they interact with their coaches, all that kind of stuff. Um, A lot of times the coaches will tell me, like this guy does this, this guy does this, this guy really needs to learn meditation because he's impatient. So a lot of times I already have some information going into it. But I like to get my own sort of uh, perception as well. I don't want to go just on what a coach or coaches tell me because they maybe have their own biases.
0: 100 um, percent That I mean that if I observe a practice, sometimes even just a warm up. I mean, yeah. like, you know, communication is whatever, 90% physical. I mean, you, you can just tell from body language certain things. Especially oh, after, without, you know, a, without a doubt. Like like, like having so much um, memory to draw on, you can sort of just see, you know, w- once you've seen it enough, you kind of start picking out things pretty quickly.
1: Oh, without a doubt. And some guys are really sort of, you always have on some teams, these, these guys that are key contributors, maybe mm. not even just the superstar guy, but the guy that sort of maybe, maybe the glue guy, right? And some of mm-hmm. these guys, the energy on the team is really symbiotic on some of these key guys. And if they come in the gym in a shitty mood because they just failed a French quiz or their girlfriend is mad, mm-hmm. then it has a domino effect or a symbiotic effect on the entire team. It's interesting. So there are certain guys who we talk to and you're like, your energy has got to be really good. You don't have to be Mr. Rogers or Ted Lasso going in there necessarily, but you, better, you need to stand up straight and just, you know, mm-hmm. so... It's interesting how that works. You know, what I like to say is a team is an organism.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, And I I tell the teams this when I work with them. Team is an animal. The head coach is the brain. The assistant coaches are the nervous system. The players are the parts of the body. If one of the parts of the body is out of whack, the whole body, the whole organism can die or suffer. Mm -hmm. They seem to get it, you know, when you put it into those kind of terms.
0: Yeah, and that... So in, in, in my book, Zen and the Art of Coaching Basketball, kind of the, uh, the hero of the book, I guess, is, is exactly what you're describing. It's, it's a role player that most fans, most, and all the casual fans, they don't recognize what he's doing because it's just all he's doing is keeping his spacing on the other side of the court or he's moving the ball half a second faster or he's looping around to draw his, you know, just these things. There's not even statistics for, but it's just making the whole thing work.
1: Oh, without a doubt. And it's funny because working with a lot of these guys, they all think in college, they have to be that guy yeah, and get 30 points a game. And no, I mm-hmm. sit by NBA scouts a lot in these college practices. They're looking for exactly what you're saying. The role mm-hmm. player, the mm-hmm. very athletic role player, who will dive on the floor and get a 50-50 ball. And there's no stat for that. Mm-hmm. Everyone can shoot in the NBA. Well, except I'm not gonna say this guy's name.
0: because <laughs> we know we're talking he, about. <laughs> he went to
1: my school. He went to my high school okay. many years okay. later okay. and I wanna coach him one of these days. So I'm not gonna burn that bridge. That's I mean, mindfulness, he, Ben, he, right he, he, there.
0: He needs that, to shoot with his other hand. That's the issue.
1: Right? I just I just displayed mindfulness. Uh, yes, right? you did. Uh, little
0: so yep in 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 my story in in my book which is real life the um there's a moment with this character uh jack he I means a real person like you know, call him a character where in a key moment of a game he shades off his they're on defense he shades off his man and hides behind the opposing center because he sees that the, the other team's star player is going to drive in and he comes up and blocks the shot and like to the to the other player it must have looked like he came out of nowhere because he was hiding i've never seen that and of course i only see it re-watching the game on video so those little things i love that so cool yeah, yeah. let me end here it's been um crazy difficult last 18 months for the planet what um for, for people you know just kind of you know, had a tough time, having a tough time dealing with just that baseline stress that's elevated. Um, what's a tool or piece of advice or resource uh, for people who, who need some help?
1: Yeah, I think you make a great point. We have this collective trauma brought on by the pandemic. Even if we don't realize it uh, individually, there is this underlying sense of angst, you know, which is brought on by fear, isolation, all that kind of stuff. Couple of things people can do. One is just not watch the news Mm. all the time, to unplug, to power down, like we were talking about earlier with the technology. And I think one of the silver linings from the pandemic is more people spent time at home with their families. And it sort of uh, prioritized what's important. You know, we're we're wired for face-to-face interaction and connection. Mm -hmm with people. So what I would say is uh, work on building your community and being around, you know, your folks, your people is an important thing. And what I like to tell my players is uh, sort of concentrate or focus on the step in front of you, not the entire staircase. So. we still plan for the future and we learn from the past. We just don't ruminate in the past and fixate on the future. If we take care of each and every present moment as it arises, we'll get to where we need to be in the future. So that would be it.
0: I think that's the perfect capper.
1: I appreciate it, man. I loved it.
0: Me too. I loved it. Let's, let, let, let's do it again sooner than later.
1: Anytime. And, and uh, John St- John Stamos,
0: big big shot. shot. Uh, And Greg, tell tell people where they can find you, please.
1: Yeah, Greg, G-R-E-G, Graber, G-R-A-B-E-R dot com. I just go to my website and uh, Mm -hmm. you can hit me up. Love to talk to everybody.
0: Fantastic. And also, you're pretty active on Twitter, um, all of that. So, yeah, and and the book is Slow Your Roll, Mindfulness for Fast Times. Pick it up and, and we'll be on the lookout for the next one soon.
1: Thanks a lot. Have a good
0: one. Thanks, Greg. That's my conversation with Greg Graber. You can find all of his work at greggraber.com. That's greg g r a b e dot com. Greggraber.com, and you can find all of my work at benbo.substack.com. That's benbo.substack.com. We talked a little bit about the book that I've published recently, Zen in the Art of Coaching Basketball, and you can find that on Amazon. Have a great week.